connects you with information to support your guidance in career, relationships, and health. Vishali has been a big fan of Linda Drake's and has come to rely on her accuracy and compassion. Linda will be appearing on You Are What You Love the third Saturday of every month. The knowledge Linda's gained through years of communicating with Abraham offers a unique yet comforting perspective of your soul's journey through life, death, and the world beyond. For more information about Linda, to schedule a private phone session, or to purchase her book, Reaching Through the Veil to Heal, go to www.lindadrakebooks.com. Friends don't let friends go into the light without reading Vishali's You Are What You Love and now her new release, Wisdom Rising. Reaching enlightenment has never been more entertaining. Go to Vishali's website, www.purplev.com, and order her books. Watch her in action in the multimedia room. Read about her private sessions and enjoy the most beautiful purple website in all of Internet land. Anyone who says money can't buy happiness hasn't read Vishali's books, You Are What You Love, and now Wisdom Rising. Order today from Amazon or purplev.com. Magazine is the premier holistic publication on the West Coast. Publishing bi-monthly for 15 years now, they cover such issues as alternative health treatments, natural health products, fitness and personal growth, spirituality and environment, and much more. With approximately 210,000 avid readers, we currently have selected distribution stops in Santa Barbara, Ventura, Ojai, Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego, Riverside, Phoenix, Sedona, Albuquerque, Taos, Santa Fe, and Hawaii. For advertising or subscription information, call 1-800-758-3223 or visit www.awarenessmag.com. don't let friends go into the light without reading Vishali's You Are What You Love and now her new release Wisdom Rising. Reaching enlightenment has never been more entertaining. Go to Vishali's website purplev.com and order her books. Watch her in action in the multimedia room. Read about her private sessions and enjoy the most beautiful purple website in all of internet land. Anyone who says money can't buy happiness hasn't read Vishali's books You Are What You Love and now Wisdom Rising. Order today from Amazon or purplev.com. Welcome to an... Welcome to You Are What You Love, your window into the future of spirituality. We're going to talk to you about your life and the evolution of your soul while we bring alive the essence of eternal truth. So here is your host, the author of You Are What You Love, Waishali. Welcome to another exciting episode of You Are What You Love. And I'm Wishali, the wild child of the airwaves, the spiritual hostess 
with the wild woman mostus. And as you know, I'm the literature beyond karma queen. And when you read my book, You Are What You Love, or my new book, Wisdom Rising, you can be your own beyond karma king or queen. And I want to invite you to my website, purple, because I got a thing for the color purple. I only wear the color purple. Anytime you want to pretend like you're psychic and ask me what color my underwear is, if you come up with the color purple, we know that your psychic abilities are not that intense. I only wear the color purple. Purplev.com is the website. And I want to formally and officially invite you to purplev.com. And we've made some really exciting new upgrades to the website. We've got a multimedia room where you can see the wild woman in all of her purple glory, strutting her purple stuff. We've We've got a photo gallery. We've got a calendar that gives you a month at a glance. So you can go to events, click on events, and then all things Wishali. And from there, you will get an entire month at a glance. It'll tell you any other radio shows that I'm doing, any book signings, public appearances, or any other radio shows that might be an interview or I might be interviewing somebody else. Because there are some things you can't have too much of in life. One is happiness, the other is purple, and the third is Wishali. You can also learn about the individual sessions that I offer people. They're called self-emergence sessions because the idea is to help you separate from the stuff you're here to get over so that your true self can begin to emerge and that you can move forward in your life with great spiritual self-confidence and clarity about knowing that you are a force of divine love right here and now and letting all your other baggage and stories of limitation fall to the wayside where they belong. And this is a very special You Are What You Love. It is the conclusion of our two-part interview with author Stephen Maines. And I want to encourage you to go to his website. It's Stephen with a V. Stephen Maines, M-A-I-N-E-S dot com. He's the author of the book Longinus, book one of the Merlin Factor, and a soon-to-be-released book, Mirrodin, book two of the Merlin Factor. And Stephen has got a wildly exciting trailer, and you are invited to take a look at that trailer by going to youtube.com forward slash purple haze press. And you can enjoy this 90-second trailer. won't take up too much of your time. And you're encouraged to share it with anyone else who is moved by anything that is constructed of exquisite craftsmanship and beauty. It is one of the most exquisitely awe-inspiring trailers. Just the sheer genius of the Flash animation is worth putting yourself in the way of. And again, that is YouTube.com forward slash purple haze press so without further delay because we've got so much to talk about one of my favorite authors on the planet welcome Stephen. to you are what you love hi wish how are you thanks for having me oh honey you rock baby cakes <laughs> and i know that anyone who had the opportunity to hear part one is sitting with bated breath, waiting to hear more about Longinus and Mirrodin, book two of The Merlin Factor. But for those who are just joining us, let's go ahead and do a little Longinus backstory. Mm-hmm. You've written a trilogy. I'm constantly, because I love it so much, constantly trying to impress upon you the need to write a four-book trilogy. But you've got a book one, book two, and book three of The Merlin Factor, even though book one is out, book two will be... Um, 
released in a few months. And book one, Longinus of the Merlin Factor, is about Gaius Cassius Longinus, the Roman centurion, whose role it was to be the man who pierced the side of Christ on the cross. Correct. And I just want to, because I'm a tease, everybody knows that. I'm sure the engineer is laughing in his hand. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give people a little preview of Longinus, book one of the Merlin Factor. I want to let everyone know this book is being referred to as literary opium <laughs> because it is that addictive. So uh, this is a cold read, so forgive me if I don't do it justice, but i got to tell you, it's dazzling enough that, you know, even if I manhandle it badly its brilliance will still i'm sure shine forth so this is i'm just going to give you read you just the first two paragraphs of longinus book one of the merlin factor and i want you to bear in mind that it's written first person from a man's point of view so you're going to have to in your imagination level imbue me with extra testosterone but here we go my duties put me in charge of 100 men it was nearly a thousand years into the existence of my beloved republic. It was no longer a republic, however. Rome was now an imperial state with the facade of a republic in the guise of the Senate. My title rank was Centurion. My name was Longinus. Centurion Longinus. To recall it now in my present state of existence, in the memory of my soul, my spirit, is to relive it again in the flesh. You see, the memory of the soul is not the memory as we think of it when we are in human form. It's not a conglomeration of images and sounds and feelings impressed on the pathways of the brain. Instead, when one truly recalls an event of the soul's existence, it is instantly relived or lived all over again in what you call real time. So, I just wanted to marinate some breadcrumbs in the mixture of irresistibility and kind of lay those out for our listening audience. So let's go ahead and, because we've got so much to talk about and there's so much to explore in your book, Longinus, book one of the Merlin Factor. If you would give our listening audience, since I've given them just the first two paragraphs, kind of springboard from there into a, a thumbnail description of this book and what it's about and what its intention is, sweetheart. Sure, I'd love to. Thank you for doing that, actually. That's that's a wonderful intro to it. It's um, <clears throat> Longinus, as you pointed out, is the centurion that pierced the side of Christ while he was on the cross. Now, I took it in the first person, wrote it in the first person, um, and the opening paragraphs that you just read there were basically from a disembodied state, if you want to call it that. And he's reflecting back on this experience in a soul state, if you will. Um, from that, he, le he goes right back into that existence, that life in, in the story, and you start living it from that point on. And it picks up with the crucifixion. Uh, on the day of the crucifixion and explains that he was just uh, doing his duty and there was no nothing to it uh, until that is the sky got dark and uh, ominous and and so forth and uh, the event of the stabbing happened and when he stabbed Jesus on the cross ultimately his life changed not in that moment but the story is about the unfolding of his life from that event and how it changed his spirit, his soul, and um, 
when he was in human form as well as when he was without um, going into another existence. And uh, I'll save that for a minute when we get into book two. Um, but basically, in a nutshell, Longinus, book one of the Merlin Factor, is about Centurion Longinus and how the event of piercing Jesus' side while he was on the cross affected him. Let me ask you something, Stephen. How long, how much of your personal life was absorbed in the research of the gathering of, because from what I understand, everything that we historically know about this person, Gaius Cassius Longinus, you've incorporated that and embodied that in the in the text. Uh, and then, of course, there's got to be huge gaps that you allow for creative license. But exactly. how long did you personally invest in the research of this project before you wrote Longinus Book One of the Merlin Factor? Yeah, well, that's interesting. It, it was about a two and a half year process of of researching this. And um, as I said in the last show, it was several different accounts of his life, and they were some of them were so juxtaposed to each other to not make any sense whatsoever. But I was able to put together. From these accounts, um, a cohesive story of sorts, and then, as you just pointed out, taking my own artistic leaps, if you will, and just letting come through my in my own writing what the story was. I, I didn't feel like I was contriving anything. I felt like it was, and I don't want to use the word channeling per se, but that's almost what it felt like in certain moments because I was just watching the movie in my mind's eye and writing down what I was seeing. So it was uh, it was a very interesting journey between the research and the actual writing. Um, and at the point where I was just getting to the point where I just was done with the research because I was finding so many different accounts of his life and, and this person, I really came to realize that nobody knows exactly what happened to this person. Nobody knows exactly what happened to that uh, or what happened that day on the uh, Skull Hill, so to speak, uh, where Jesus was crucified. Nobody knows exactly what happened. And... We can know what didn't happen by various accounts and so on and so forth, but um, that's where the artistic license comes in and just being uh, allowing yourself to, to, to tell a story uh, based on what research you, you can do and what you can know uh, about the event and the circumstances surrounding the event. Give us an uh, aerial view, if you would, sweetheart, of the main characters in the story of Longinus yes um yeah there's several that pop up shortly after the crucifixion and at first when you when you see a couple of these characters in particular excuse me just for a second uh, when you see these a couple of these characters in particular you're kind of wondering why Longinus keeps them around Jacoby's one of them who's this very sweet toothless old man and uh he he kind of doesn't really berate longinus but he sticks with longinus and he knows longinus has the spear that pierced the side of christ now jacoby wasn't actually a follower of christ per se but he did adhere to the teachings and believed that this person was here to help guide humanity and thus accorded him uh the utmost respect and whether Longinus realized it or not, in Jacoby's eyes, Longinus had been chosen to do what he did, uh, i.e. stab Christ while he was on the cross, and now it was Jacoby's job, again, in, in Jacoby's eyes, to help Longinus along his own journey, which in turn would help Jacoby on his journey. 
Now there's Irina, who is a prostitute who runs a brothel that Longinus has been involved with for many years on the superficial level of what a soldier would do at a brothel. But they develop a relationship that is under the surface and denied by both of them in the beginning, uh, i.e. they love each other incredibly deeply and have for a very long time. After this event of the crucifixion, Longinus starts to go through this change in, in awareness and growth. This love starts coming to the surface. And it's a love that they, they, they know each other has had for one another for forever, if you want to look at it like that. And then as the story goes on, there are several other characters. There are minor characters in the, um, uh, in the tomb of Christ, actually, when, when the body is supposedly risen. And Longinus runs to the tomb with Jacoby to investigate it. And he finds two soldiers that had basically not been knocked out, but they had fallen asleep at a very odd time. And a woman by the name of Mary was there to inform them that her Lord had risen. And by the time Longinus gets to the tomb, these two soldiers are finally awake. They don't know exactly what happened. They just know the body's gone. And these two characters pop up later on in the book, um, about midway through, as also supporting Longinus in his journey and uh, what his growth is about. And this is all this is reciprocated every single character that is helping longinus on a conscious level or unconscious level on his journey is being reciprocated to those helping him because they're being helped on their own journey so in a nutshell that's this whole story is about yes it's about one person's experiences uh and journey of growth but every one of the characters is going through this as well what I, I love about the book is the way that you intersect such radically different personalities, cultural, religious backgrounds. You've got a rabbi, you've got Jacoby, the, the Jewish rabbi, mm -hmm. you've got some Druid high priests, you've got uh Irina, the prostitute in there, who's a very self-possessed woman, who's very clear about what it is that she's doing and what what stone she's putting her shoulder to to right, turn. Right. Um, so, is there a is there a a bigger picture that you had in and you've got a Celtic uh, you've got this Celtic in there, Dosimeter, that we were making Conan O'Brien jokes about in the last show. <laughs> right. This is unusual to bring such diverse characters together. This mm -hmm, is one of the things mm -hmm. I love about your book is you flesh out these incredibly multi-dimensional people. Right, right. But there's this this narrative about the interrelatedness of all of us that we actually have more in common right, right. in the bigger picture than we do diversified according to our separate dogmas. Right. And what's interesting is and that works on on several levels. On um, a socio-political level, if you want to call it that, at that time, that was a big melting pot for the regions. There were so many cultures and so many um, uh, different religious backgrounds going going on together at the same time in the same place. Rome was conscripting uh, military personnel from various parts of the empire, which brought their own culture with them. Um, so this in you know in some ways it's kind of funny to say this i guess but in some ways it's not unlike america today where in certain regions especially you have so many diverse cultures mixing together as one 
you're bound to butt heads on some level, but you're also bound to find the commonality. You know what I mean? And, and it's it's something that is just inevitable. Now, when you break it down on more of a spiritual level, more of a deeper uh, uh, reflective level, that's really where you're going to find more more similarities than differences. It's the differences on the outside that get held up and, and driven by the ego that, that, you know, you have to do it my way. This is the only true way. This is the only true path, etc. That's driven by the ego. But once you when you're put together with so many different people, you either coexist or you die. And the way you coexist is by finding the similarities in, in each other's belief systems and structures and coexisting that way. Now, breaking it down even more with these characters, they were all eventually on a path of self-awareness, a, a path of growth that enabled them to even deeper, on a deeper level, see the similarities that they share not necessarily in beliefs of spirituality or religion, but just in existence, period. And the commonalities that they were beginning uh, to see in each other, they began to experience as one. And that drew them together even even closer. But I think it, it basically, it would start with the, just the, the, the atmosphere of the time, the political atmosphere of the time, and the fact that it was such a melting pot, if that makes sense. No, it, it does. I mean, you, you don't. You're not going to have a greater melting pot than the Middle East and, right. and a, a Roman-occupied condition. Right. And I want to welcome anyone who may have just joined us. The show is "You Are What You Love." I'm Wishali, the Wild Child, and today my guest is one of my most favoriteest authors on the planet. His name is Stephen Maines, and I want to formally and officially invite you to his website. It is Stephen, and that's Stephen with a V. Stephen Maines, M-A-I-N-E-S, StephenMaines.com. And there you can learn more about Longinus, book one of the Merlin Factor. You can go to his website and take what we call the Longinus test, which is you can download the first chapter of the book, and we dare you, no, I triple dog dare you, to read the first two pages of the book and try and stop there. This book is incredibly addictive. And one of the reasons we've been talking about it being addictive is that it definitely taps into a universality of the human condition. And many of you may have heard of Stephen's story indirectly. Maybe you heard of The Spear of Destiny. This is the spear that Gaius Cassius Longinus used to pierce the side of Christ on the cross. And this is the context of Stephen's book, Longinus, Book One of the Merlin Factor. And I w again, I want to invite you to go to youtube.com forward slash purple haze press and view the most exquisite flash animation 90 second trailer for Longinus. One of the things I love about this trailer, Stephen, is it because a lot of us are very sensitive to, is this, you know, a uh, fundamentalist charged story? Mm -hmm. Am I opening up the door to a lot of Bible thumping? Uh, what is the author's agenda? The trailer lets you see that this is an artistic expression and that you're using this character as a template for every human being and where we find ourselves faced with experiences we never imagined would be delivered to our doorstep. Um, but again, I want to invite you to youtube.com forward slash Purple Haze Press to experience the launch in this trailer, and I invite you to forward that to any friends of yours who are just fans 
of any beautifully executed flash animation. So in the trailer, you've got uh, who did the animation and who does the voiceover? Yes, uh, Jeff Bedrick did the uh, flash animation. Just an immensely talented man. And, remarkable, uh, remarkable. Yeah, the, the visuals are just stunning. I mean, the first time I saw it, I was just I was blown away. And um, Mark Coulson is the actor that does the voiceover and uh, just captures Longinus to, to a T. He's just amazing. He's got the most butch voice, and I'm imagining because I have an in with you, you'll pass on my phone number to him. Well, yeah, sure, why not? Okay. <laughs> that, you were worth having on the show just for that. <laughs> there you go. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> so in exploring Longinus, there's something that that keeps jumping out to me, mm-hmm. and that's I'm a, a 21st century woman, um, and uh, I find myself seeing myself in Gaius Cassius Longinus, in this yes. Roman centurion. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, he doesn't menstruate. He doesn't have <laughs> nearly the fabulous silhouette that I do. How can that be? <laughs> well, I think part... Part of it is, well, the main reason is actually that what he is experiencing is part of the human condition, period. And he is exemplifying and going through experiences that every one of us go through on one level or another, whether we realize it or not. And the experience, and we touched on this a little bit last time, of of taking steps forward and, and yet falling back a few steps. He goes through this constantly in the book he's constantly grappling with himself with the fact that he's hearing a voice come from the spear that's helping to guide him to do wonderfully magical things seemingly magical things and yet he's questioning it the whole time denying it denying his own awareness and his own growth mainly because he wants to maintain the status quo and which is fear-based he doesn't want to do to change and whether the reader is a woman or a man um, it's not going to matter because it's the same. It's it's part of the human condition. Everyone can relate to that on some level or another, I believe. You do a really fabulous job through the vehicle of story, bringing us to levels where we have to admit that we don't like growing beyond our comfort zone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where we pigeonhole ourselves because that's an area we've well-defined, and therefore we don't want to stake out or explore new territory which may require more of ourselves as far as identifying ourselves with something larger and grander and greater so book Longinus, book one of the Merlin Factor Mm -hmm. you're about to release Mirrodin, book two of the Merlin Factor explain to me this thread of the Merlin Factor what's that about? Right. Well the Merlin Factor um, to back up a little bit is something that when I first started writing this series, it wasn't wasn't even going to be about a centurion or about any one individual. It was about the awakening of what I call the Merlin factor that is within every one of us. Now, I've been fascinated by the character of Merlin the Magician uh, since I was a child, as I think a lot of us have. And that speaks to the fact that every one of us believed at some point in our life that anything was possible. And... The key is to get back to that place where knowing that anything is possible, even as an adult. We tend to lose that as, as, as we grow up. And the Merlin factor, basically, with Longinus, he, after he leaves the Roman military, he goes up into Gaul and studies with the Druids and becomes what is called a Merlin. Merlin was not a, a, the name of a person 
as I pointed out in, in the last show, it was actually a title to be achieved in uh, the Druidic ranks, and hence the Merlin factor in the subtitle. Now, book two actually picks up uh, several generations later, and it's, it's actually the fourth century. And what has happened is, legend has it that the spear, Longinus's spear, in a, along with a couple other uh, early Christian items, was deposited uh, for once, we'll call it the island of Babylon. I refer to it as something else in, in, in the book, um, because there's really, nobody really knows what the name of this place was. Uh, but anyway, there was these items that were deposited for safekeeping on this island in Britain, in a lake, uh, by Joseph of Arimathea. Now, I pick up the second book 300 years later with this boy who is rummaging through the ruins of a temple and finds a sarcophagus, basically, containing these sacred relics. But, you know, he doesn't know what they are. He doesn't know they're sacred. And uh, he, one of them is the spear. And he, for some reason, connects with this particular item and ends up taking it out of the temple with him. This young lad is named Mirrodin which is a Gaelic bastardization of the name Merlin. And the story, book two, picks up with a young boy uh, that we would come to know in our time period as Merlin the Great, Merlin the Wizard of King Arthur's court. Um, and my book, book two, basically follows his life after finding the spear, how it speaks to him. He disguises the spear because there are factions that are still out there trying to find these sacred relics, particularly the, the new, by this time, the new Christian, the new religion of the Christians is starting to take hold. And um, these sacred relics, they know are out there. And uh, one of them is the Holy Grail. Another one is the, a piece of the cross, which is called the Rood, R-O-O-D. And um, they suspect that uh, they, being, you know, some of the early Christian fathers, uh, suspect that they were in Britain, um, and um, they're trying to find them. So Mirrodin disguises the spear as a wizard's staff, and the story goes on from there. Beautiful. You know, I can't help but be reminded of books like Miss of Avalon, mm -hmm, it, it mm -hmm. conjures that same kind of images and archetypical storytelling. So if somebody is a fan of the Miss of Avalon, would they find Mirrodin, book two of the Ber Merlin Factor, would they, would they find that sati satiating, meaningful in that same uh, need to get that same kind of Arthurian, Arturian kind of uh, storytelling or dimension? With, or is, are you going off in a completely different direction? Is it a completely different thing? It, it's both, actually. The, the, the characters that... Miss of Avalon is one of my favorite books of all time, and one of the reasons why it works on so many levels is because it does, yes, tap into the archetypal uh, images that we, that we hold from this time period. And the characters therein, but it's also it also crosses those bounds that we've been talking about about just relating the human condition, the mists of Avalon, the lead character. You're seeing it through the female's eyes, and it, you know it, it didn't matter to me that it was a woman's eyes I was looking through because it was tapping into that same element of the human condition that we could all relate to. Same thing with my my story, Mirrodin. It's also taken in the first person as Longinus, and he's grappling with some some of the same um, 
things that Longinus was grappling with, but now it's taken to a different level. He is a druid. He is. He was raised on the island of Avalon. He subsequently left after uh, many, many years of study there, but he's already on a path of enlightenment. So it's, it's not so much a grappling in that sense, but it is having to exist in an everyday world with this power, with this knowledge that he is still in human form and, and subject to the human condition and loving it and hating it at the same time. Now, as far as the characters in Miss of Av Avalon vis-a-vis -vis the characters in Meriden, you'll see some of the same ones pop up. I mean, it's, you know, they're part of the legend. But I take a completely different take on uh, a lot of it, just in the sense that I don't take it up to the time period, or I, t I, I take it up to the time period that Mists of Avalon actually start. This is kind of pre uh, uh, Mists of Avalon, if, if you want to look at it that way. And it's my take on the young boy Merlin, uh, Mirrodin in this case, and young man, actually, not, not young boy. But there are various characters that come into it as well that aren't part of the, the Arthurian legend that I think are very plausible for the time period. Um, it's also, my story is also set much earlier than traditional Arthurian legends are, are set in. Um, mine is, is in the fourth century, as I said, which is actually probably, from what I've researched, more historic, historically accurate. Um, and I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But um, for the most part, and it's not really similar, and someone else asked me too, is it similar to a series, a mini-series that was on a few years ago called Merlin? And it's not. It's really not. This is more based in, in what might have actually happened, yes, but uh, with also the studies that he did and everything, and the spear coming into it and the whole Christian element coming in at this time. So let me ask you the $64 million question. Okay. Is Meriden the reincarnation of Longinus? I touch on that in the book. And I'll, without going into too much detail, the prologue of book two has him, uh, he's again disembodied, just as in the beginning of Longinus, which you read a, a few minutes ago. And, but now he's, it's almost as if he's tumbling through various aspects of his life as Longinus. He's seeing them flash before his eyes. He's just, uh, I don't want to give the ending of Longinus away, but he's, he's seeing the ending of, of what happened to him in Longinus. And, and now he's, he's finding himself in the form of this little boy who's found the spear. And he's like, ah, this is where I've, I've come. I see. It's another life in which to learn, etc. That's the prologue. Chapter one starts with him as now a grown man. So I do imply that that it is Alonzo's uh, reincarnated. But then again, he may be looking through it through that spirit's eyes. There's a blood tie there. There's a bloodline there. I go into that in Longinus a bit with visions, certain visions that he has, that he's tied to uh, uh, the uh, whole king uh, or person that will unite a kingdom in the Isle of, of Britain. Uh, some centuries later, uh, by the name of Arturius. And um, so I do imply a bloodline there as well. You know, one of the things that you and I have talked about before that I've really enjoyed greatly is the value and the power of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I was sharing with you about Robert Louis Stevenson that wrote Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. And he said that he would actually dream 
the progression of his stories at night in his yeah, sleep. Yeah, yeah. And he described it as brownies. I don't know why a high-carbohydrate, high-sugar dietary gift would come to him and communicate with him. I'm only kidding. I know it means little fairies. <laughs> but that brownies would come to him in his dreams mm -hmm. and weave this story and that he was very much an innocent uh, participant of the unfolding of the events yes. and that he very much looked forward to going to bed at night because he needed to know what was going to happen next yes, yes. and that in his dreams the characters would reveal themselves mm -hmm. they would tell what their influences what their motivations were and that he felt when he was getting up the next morning he was simply taking down dictation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of this story that was you know, used in 21st century vernacular, was downloaded into his nervous system. Yeah. And you and I have talked about how you have, if we can call it Robert Louis Stevenson syndrome. <laughs> that I'm, you, I'm honored if you call it that. That's great. That you, you too, have been in that Robert Louis Stevenson zone. And I mm -hmm. remember when you were talking to me about this character, Jacoby. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. From Longinus, yes. In Longinus, book one of the Merlin Factor. And there's some things that start unfolding, and you're having an emotional response to those things, and there are some people around you who are existing in a vacuum because they don't know that you're writing this story. They're just in the same work environment with you. They're interacting, yeah. and they're wanting to know why you're so emotional, and you're turning to them and saying, such and such a thing just happened to Jacoby. Yeah. <laughs> so this whole idea that you're along for the ride and that the story is finding you yes, yes. because you're receptive enough to be the vehicle to me is absolutely fascinating. Oh. Will you talk more about that? Yeah, and well, you described it perfectly well, and I think a lot of uh, artists would say it's the same thing for them. Uh, and I don't care whether you're talking painting, music, um, it, it's these things find you. And yeah, I've been accused when I was, particularly when I was young, of being a quote unquote daydreamer. And what was actually happening is stories were coming into my head, and I was watching the movie in my mind, or I was talking to various characters, and, and so on and so forth. And it's the same thing with Mirrodin, and was the same thing with, with Longinus. Um, there would be times, if I had spare moments, I would be lying on the couch, and to someone that would be, you know, not in the know, so to speak, they would think I'd be lazy. What are you doing? Well, I'm actually writing. I'm watching the movie in my head. Now, unfortunately, I'm, my wife right now is, is wonderful. She totally understands that. So when she sees me lying on a couch instead of saying, why aren't you out mowing the lawn or something, honey? And I say, well, I'm actually riding. She's like, oh, really? Okay, I'll go in the other room. You know, it's, that's just the way it works for me. Other people might work a little differently. And they may compose the characters, and it's one of the problems. And I don't, I don't want mean to segue into this, but this is one of the problems I have with so-called creative writing classes and certain classes of of that nature is that they focus so much on the technique, the mechanics of it. You lose sight of the the spirit of it and where it actually, the stuff actually comes from. And just instead of trusting the process, you try and force the process, and you just can't do that. And when you're when I'm in the throes of writing a story. Um, it's writing itself through me. I, again, I'm just, I, I keep using the metaphor of, of watching a movie in my head, but that's the best way I can describe it. And if I, sometimes if I want to get more of a clue on a character, I'll actually stop the movie and ask him. And he'll turn to me or she, and she'll say, well, this is because of this. This is why. And so when something comes along, and I, won't give, I don't want to give too many key points away, but if a certain character is killed, for example... Um, I, I don't necessarily see it coming. 
And when I do, or when I write it down rather, and it, and it happens, it affects me emotionally because I, you know, it's not like I was I was planning it. There was a character that in one of the parts of of Mirrodin that um, I he just died, and I'm like, you know, building up to this, I could see it coming, and this was over just a couple day process. And when I wrote the final paragraph and he was gone, I'm like. Well, that kind of sucks. Why did why did that happen? Well, it, it was part of the storytelling process. You'd, that's the other thing. You just can't you can't censor it. You got to let it happen. Now you're going to go back. You're going to edit. You're going to do this and that to it, uh, make it more cohesive. But the basic elements are there, and you you need to just get out of your own way and let that happen. As a writer, I love that, sweetheart. You allow it to take a life of its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Anyone who's ever written a book knows at some point they have to acknowledge. It has a life of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, before you wrote book two or book three, or, or even finished book one, you knew that this was a three-book trilogy. Yeah, that was funny because I was fighting that tooth and nail, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, now I, I've been writing since I was a little kid, and I went through, you know, in college, uh, my f- uh, degrees were in philosophy, and it was a complete writing program, so I've been doing it forever. But I still find the act of writing somewhat tedious, um, even though I'm seeing the movie in my head. Who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So yeah. when I wrote, when I started writing Longinus, and, uh, oh, great, okay, I finally latched onto the story. It's going to be about the, the Roman centurion with the spear, and, and uh, you know, this will hook a lot of people. I think a lot of people will be interested in this. And then it all of a sudden hit me, well, book two will be the, what? Book two, what are you talking about? And then book three all of a sudden came out. It's like, oh, why am I committing to this? But it's, at the same time, it's like, you are committing to this. I'm excited to be committing to it at the same time. So, but before book one was finished, yes, I already had book two and three in mind. And you mentioned a moment ago, you know, a book four and, and other people have said, well, why not be on? I'm open to it. If it tells me to do it, I'll do it. If not, I'm going to move on. Because there are several other books I have already up in my head that ready to be given birth to, so to speak. So that's, that's absolutely fair. I want to remind anyone who's just joined us that the show is You Are What You Love. I'm with Sholly, the wild child of the airwaves, the spiritual hostess with the wild woman mostess. And today my guest is one of my most favoriteest authors on the planet. His name is Stephen Maines. And I want to encourage you to run, don't walk, to his website, Stephen, that's Stephen with a V, S-T-E-V-E-N, Mains, M-A-I-N-E-S, StephenMains.com. And there you can learn more about Longinus, book one of The Merlin Factor. You can download a chapter, the first chapter of Longinus, book one of The Merlin Factor. And I want to encourage you to go to YouTube.com forward slash Purple Haze press and there you will see the most exquisite flash animation launch in this trailer in all of the known and unknown universe and i want to encourage you to watch it if you are nothing more than simply interested in seeing a thing of beauty and forward it to any of your friends who can appreciate this incredible work of art. Not only does it give you a feel for Longinus, book one of the Merlin Factor, but it's simply an exquisite visual experience. There are going to be some things on your deathbed that you are going to not want to have repeated, like learned more about the in and outs of income tax or property tax laws. But on your deathbed, I promise you, 
you will not feel bad about having watched the Longinus trailer <laughs> just simply for the quality of beauty that it brings into your life and the sense of magic. And there's something about your books, Stephen, that give us permission to be human mm. Mm. without well, judgment, a- without criticism. And there's a universality that you have in your books when you... Uh, when you experience these characters and you say, okay, I see a lot of myself in those, when you're writing Mirrodin, book two of The Merlin Factor, and you can even throw in Longinus if, if you care to, sweetheart, mm-hmm. what parts of your universal fiber did you find that this was resonating to? I think it's funny. I think just the essential question, why am I here? What is this all about? That is inexhaustible, is it not? Yeah, you know, and it was, it, but in the context of, of, everyday living as a human being and and you know in this society that's so fast-paced and so materialistic and yet there's this is it there's got to be something more um and you know i spend most of my life exploring that question basically through various means whether it's through you know academics or 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 mysticism on my own just studying various things and um essentially that's what these books this whole series is is addressing and but in the, in story form sense, and in, in hopefully in a way that people can relate to as the main character uh, themselves, seeing themselves in the role of the main character and identifying with him um, as he's going through life, whether it's Longinus, Mirrodin's a little different, and then book three, uh, ent- entitled Masood, will also be uh, a little different than that, but that theme runs through it, uh, through all three books. So can we assume or expect that Masood is going to be the reincarnation of Mirrodin a la Longinus. Um, yes. To, I'm not quite sure where that's going to go yet, but there's going to be a tie-in there uh, spiritually and bloodline. Masood basically now will take place this is book three I'm talking about. Masood book three of the Merlin Factor will take place during the time of the Crusades. Masood, however, is a Christian uh, a crusader who has been captured by a Muslim army during this time. Now, there was a Muslim uh, general by the name of Saladin. Uh, Sal- it's pronounced differently, but, you know, Americanized, it's Sal- Saladin, who was very merciful, very wise uh, Islamic leader and general. And Masood is given the name Masood. He's actually, a, as I said, a Christian uh, crusader who is captured by this general's army. And this general's army and factions around him claim to have parts of uh, the cross, the Christian cross, that they hold up in battle. And one of the other things that they will claim to have is the spear. And Masood will be in charge of the spear, or he comes in contact with the spear. And it's something that resonates with his soul, within his soul, for a variety of reasons. Uh, that one I'm. That one's going to be very exciting. I'm having a blast writing Mirrodin and seeing what's happening here. But that one is going to be even more poignant, I think, especially um, for our, our time and day, what's happening in the world right now. So, I agree. Very timely. There's this quality about the one, mm-hmm. the interrelatedness that runs through the existence of all of created life. I, I think the exact words that you use in Longinus, book one of the Merlin Factor, is that we are all expressions that exist in the mind of God. Ah, yes. 
this seems to be the simultaneously the overall umbrella and underpinnings of one and two and three of mm-hmm. of the Merlin factor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. I mean, it's uh, you know, again, it's not a it's not a religious book per se. It's a story, action, adventure with a spiritual subtext to it. But that and that that quote comes, I, I believe, from Jacoby in book one, and. It, that's part of what every character here is to a greater degree or another is coming to realize that they are pinpoint expressions, individualized expressions in the mind of, of God or the one, whatever you want to call it. And it's just functioning from that place at every point of your life in every day as much as possible, basically, is, is what is the theme that runs through these books as well. So in the uh, in the four or so minutes that we have left sweetheart if there was some other final sharing or connection or salutation that you would like to extend from you from the creative impetus of of this boiling conglomeration of creativity that you would like to share with the listening audience that you would like to convey what would that what what would that be what would you like to say to people sweetheart well through these books the main the characters always can we touched on this a moment ago to continue to question themselves and 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 not only just what their life is about, but also berate themselves, thinking that they need to be at a certain place here or there. Their, their missteps are just damning them, so to speak. And what these characters in the books learn is that it's not about that. It's about the journey itself. It's a, and I know that sounds like an old cliche, but there's truth in it. And it's taking the process one day at a time and realizing it's the process that matters and the learning from the process, not necessarily the end result, so to speak. And it's if you got that, you got it all, I really think. You know, you couldn't forge a better example of Longinus. You know, if you didn't pierce the sight of Christ on the cross, you didn't kick your grandmother down a flight of stairs, <laughs> then, you know, you, you, you probably can show up for your life and feel pretty good about yourself. I would think so. I, I, I would think so. And I love the way that you've picked these characters and allowed us, the readership, to see the worst of ourselves in it and mm-hmm. the best of ourselves in it. Yeah, I mean, because that's what it's all about. It's not just about the, ba- the the worst of ourselves. We tend to focus on that a lot, uh, especially in our society, too. You know, you just turn on the nightly news. That's all that there is on. But the good is, um, I mean, is just as much a part of it, if not more. That's where you want to be. We're not here to be unhappy and focus on the negative. We're here to experience life and focus on on the positive and and be the best that we can be. Uh, to you know, coin a phrase of another. So, and if 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 that's not where you're at, then just step back and look at that, and go from there, and make some adjustments. And I think you know part of the re- I, you know didn't mean to get off on that tangent per se, but at the same time, that's what these books are about. There are you know people told me they're a great read first of all, but. The underlying lessons there, even some of them, uh, some of the people that have read them are like, well, I enjoyed it a lot more for reasons I can't even explain right now. And I think that's part of it. If that I, makes I, love, sense. I love it when that mystery of life surprises us. Right. When we walk into something with our all too full of our self-knowingness 
Right. And we allow something to find us that was unexpected and magical and life transformative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sweetheart, I, I, you know, I could have you on the show every day and still not exhaust everything that you have to share. <laughs> so I want to thank you so much for your sharing and your time. And is there any idea you think when we might expect book three of The Merlin Factor? Um, I would say... Hopefully by year's end, uh, book two will be out in a couple months. Uh, book three, hopefully by year's end, definitely after the first of the year, uh, if not by the end of this year. And I know you shared with me earlier that you are in the process right now of getting pre-publication sales for Mirrodin, book two of The Merlin Factor, yes. to be available on Amazon.com as well as your own w- website. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to encourage those that, that are listening, if you have not already read Longinus Book One of the Merlin Factor, run, don't walk to the Internet and order Longinus Book One of the Merlin Factor. You can do that on Stephen's website, Stephen, that's Stephen with a V, M-A-I-N-E-S, StephenMains.com. You can do it at Amazon.com. And since he's one of my most favoriteest authors in the entire world, if you are visiting PurpleV.com and running around in the most beautiful purple website in all of Internet land, you will also notice that anything that Stephen Maines has, you can also order there. You have the book, Longinus Book One of the Merlin Factor, coming out on CD and on download MP3 file. Stephen, when Book Three comes out, you will have to grace us with your appearance again. I would love to. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, sweetheart. You are the best. And uh, what I would like to say to my listening audience, StephenMains.com. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> and until we do it again next week, rock on, babies. You've been listening to You Are What You Love with author Waishali. To order Waishali's book, You Are What You Love, or to schedule a private self-emergent session with Waishali, visit youarewhatyoulove.com. Thanks for joining us, and remember, you are what you love, and you love whatever you give your attention to. So love wisely.